Welcome to Dead of the Night, an investigative podcast looking into the disappearance of Devin Riesling, a 23-year-old nursing student who disappeared on February 9th, 2019. On our last episode, we traveled to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where Devin was attending the University of Michigan. There we discovered that Devin had a very different life than anyone back home knew about, including being expelled from college for drug use and having an affair with a married professor, Dr. Damien Cowan, whose whereabouts are currently unknown. We're going to pick the story back up in Emmett in the next episode, but we wanted to take some time to answer the listener questions that have been rolling into the podcast over the last five weeks. Our first question is a voicemail from a listener that we received back in episode three. Hi guys, this is Jenna from Canastota, New York, and I was wondering, did Devin have any friends who lived up by Boiling Springs or maybe had a vacation cabin up there? Thanks. Love the podcast. Early in the case, Brett discovered that Devin owned a cabin in Cascade, which was about an hour north of Boiling Springs. However, Brett confirmed with the family that the cabin had not been used. It was locked the entire week of Devin's disappearance, and there was no sign of a break-in, no hidden keys outside, or anything like that. So Brett quickly eliminated that as a theory. Hey, Kenneth and Jessica. My name is Diane. I know you guys will probably go over this in a future episode, but I really just wanted to know if a missing persons report has been filed for Damien Cohen yet. Thanks for the podcast. Bye. Thanks for your question. Brett and Kenneth and I have been looking into this extensively, and so far, this is what we've found. There is no missing persons report filed for Damien Cowan. We've spoken to friends and former colleagues at the University of Michigan and found that after he was fired, Damien told several people that he had accepted a position at a university in Chicago and was moving away. Then he deleted his Facebook account, the only social media account he had, and his friends slowly stopped hearing from him. That didn't seem unusual to most of them. Most people described Damien as a reclusive and private person who sometimes went on vacation without telling anyone and often deleted his social media only to reappear again later. Both of his parents are deceased, and he has no siblings or close relatives that would have noticed if he went missing. His ex-wife, Grace Cooper, declined another interview with us, but her sister, Damien's former sister-in-law, did respond to our inquiry and confirmed that Grace has not seen or heard from Damien since he was fired from the university in October 2018. She also heard rumors that he accepted another position at a university in Chicago. However, Kenneth and I have called every university and hospital in Chicago and many other nursing schools around the country and haven't yet found one who hired Damien. We were running into so many dead ends while tracking Damien down that Brett actually reached out to a colleague of his, an experienced skip tracer who specializes in tracking down people who are difficult to find. We will update all of you when and if we find Damien's whereabouts. Hey, uh, my name's BJ. I'm from Florida. I just want to say I love the podcast. And um, I just finished listening to episode two. I'm a little bit behind. I'm still catching up. Sorry if this question actually has already been answered, but I was just thinking about it. I wonder, like, Isaac mentioned that Devin answered a phone call from her mother in the middle of the movie. Um, Isn't it possible to, like, check, like, phone records or, like, can you confirm that this call was made? Uh, Thanks again for taking my question, and I love the show. Can't wait to hear the rest. Thanks. 
First and foremost, I want to thank you for asking this question, because, to be completely honest, this was something I had completely overlooked. I took a closer look at the cell phone data from Devin's iPhone, and I was unable to find any phone calls from that day at all. Devin last received a phone call the night before, February the 8th, which was from Isaac. They spoke for approximately 7 minutes, presumably saying goodnight before they went to sleep, around midnight. And that's it. That's the last time Devin's phone is used to make or receive a phone call. This leaves us with only two options, really. Either Isaac was lying about the phone call, which makes no sense considering that, to his credit, everything else he has said about Devin's last day has checked out. Which leaves the only other possibility, which is that Devin may have had a second cell phone. On our Facebook group, another listener asked if Devin had been in communication with Dr. Damien Cohen in the weeks and months leading up to her disappearance, and the answer to that question is that either they weren't in communication or Devin only contacted him on a secret second phone, because there were no text messages or calls from Damien on Devin's iPhone, even all the way back to when she first got her phone in December of 2018. So... The theory that Devin had a second phone is a possibility that we are going to cover more in our next episode. So again, thank you so much for pointing this out. And honestly, it just goes to show how much the community can help in this case, whether it be bringing us tips or pointing out things that we may have missed or overlooked. So again, I thank you so much for this question, and thank you everyone who is listening or sending us tips or questions. Our next question was sent to our email from a listener named Matthew W. It reads, I was curious about Devin's dad. Is he still in prison? And if not, was he in prison at the time of Devin's disappearance? My girlfriend and I were discussing the podcast one day, and we remembered the interview with Patty, where she mentions that Devin's dad had hurt her in the past. It just made us wonder if there is any chance he may know something? I know it might be far-fetched, but I've heard stories before of prisoners getting mixed up in gangs that sometimes will threaten family members of inmates to get control or manipulate them. So I just had to ask if that was an angle you had considered. To answer your question, Matt, we know that Devin's father, Ricky Riesling, is still incarcerated. He is being held at the Idaho State Correctional Institute, and he's up for parole next year. Currently, we're working on setting up a phone interview with him, so keep listening for that in a later episode of the podcast, and we will certainly explore any and all leads that arise after that interview. My question is more of a comment, I guess. I was wondering what you made of the fact that Garrett claimed to be in communication with Devin after her disappearance through an Instagram profile. Thanks. When Garrett first told us about how he believed Devin was communicating with him through a gibberish Instagram profile, I was definitely reminded of what Dr. Andrea Lockhart said about delusions of reference. I think all of us have had a follow or a friend request by an Instagram account with no photo and just a bunch of random letters and numbers in the title. It's clearly just a spam account, and the fact that Garrett has assigned some meaning to this is somewhat concerning about his mental state. That being said, we are going to investigate this more in a coming episode, just to be completely sure. Hi, um, this is Natalie. I'm a local listener from here in Boise. I just wanted to say thank you guys so much for looking into this case. I know that Devin's disappearance hasn't really gotten any media attention, and it's such a shame. So I'm really glad that someone is out there looking for her and trying to get the word out. So my theory is that Devin went up to the hot springs by herself. I've actually been up to that exact hot spring spot before, and there really is something magical about being in a hot springs in the snow, so I understand the appeal. 
My theory is that she drove up there, got stuck in the snow, and then she left on foot to go try and find help, like get a ride or call a tow truck or something. And unfortunately, I think she probably died from the elements. I don't know if you guys know about this, but just last year, there was a guy here in Boise that went for a run in the foothills and during a snowstorm, and he ended up getting up there and freezing to death. So it can be really dangerous, especially at night. It can get really cold here in Idaho, and I know there was a snowstorm coming in that week. So I just wanted to see what you guys thought about this theory. Hey, bye. The theory that Devin died from the elements after her car got stuck in the snow is definitely one that we have put a lot of consideration into. That is why Brett brought in cadaver dogs, actually, to search the area around her car. But unfortunately, when the dogs didn't find anything, that theory became less and less likely. So, if you think about it, Devin was six miles south of the cabin, which had no sign of any human activity all winter. No ashes in the fireplace, no open food cans, nothing. She was also 17 miles north of the city of Crouch, and a website about snowshoeing estimates that the average hiker wearing snowshoes only travels about 2 miles an hour. Without snowshoes, that number probably drops, so let's estimate 1.5 miles an hour? That means it would have taken Devin around 25 hours of walking to reach the closest town of Crouch. Additionally, the temperature the night of February the 9th was only around 15 to 20 degrees with winds around 15 miles per hour, leading to a 6 degree wind chill temperature. In those conditions, hypothermia can begin in as little as 30 minutes? So it seems very unlikely that Devin ever made it as far as Crouch or any further. Therefore, if Devin had perished from the elements, her body would have been located within the zone that was searched by the cadaver dogs. Since the cadaver dogs did not find any remains, it seems reasonable to conclude that Devin did not die from the elements in that area. At this point, I think we can reasonably conclude that whatever happened to Devin, she must have gotten into another vehicle at some point. There's really no other explanation. Our next question came from our Facebook page from a listener named Danielle. It reads, I was wondering if Garrett would be willing to hand over the GPS information that he got from the tracker he put on Devin's car. Maybe you could shed light on her movements in the days and weeks leading up to her disappearance. That's a great question, Danielle. And the answer is that we are definitely trying to get that information. Unfortunately, it's up to Garrett to cooperate with our investigation. Just to update everyone about where the case is at with law enforcement at the moment is that we have been keeping the Gem County Sheriff's Office apprised of all the developments we have found, and we are really hoping that they choose to reopen this investigation because a search warrant for Garrett's home, his van, his records, including the GPS records from Devin's car, all of these things would go such a long way in finding Devin. So, we will update you all if and when the Sheriff's Office responds to our requests. Until then, we're trying to contact Garrett, but so far he's been very uncooperative. Hi. I feel like this may have been covered already, but I'm going to ask anyway. I'd like to confirm if Devin's bank accounts and credit cards have not been used since Church's appearance. Thanks. Since February 9th, 2019, Devin's bank account has never been touched. She does have a single charge on her credit card from about a week after the state, but it was an automatic utility payment that withdrew every month on the same day. So no, her cards have not been used. Likewise, her name or social security number has not been used on any job applications, credit card or loan applications, utility bills, public tax records, vehicle registrations, or air travel records since before February 9th. 
What's up? This is Doris. I'm calling from the IE. I was wondering if any neighbors saw Devin's car leaving the night she disappeared, or if by chance any neighbors saw or heard anything else that night. I'm loving the podcast. Bye. Brett canvassed the neighborhood and found that none of Devin's neighbors saw or heard Devin leaving the house that night. However, Devin did have a neighbor who left for work around 4.30 a.m. and noticed that Devin's Ford Explorer was not parked in the driveway where it normally was parked. And Patty and Devin's home don't have a garage. So this tells us that Devin likely left the house with her car between 11 p.m. and 4.30 a.m. It seems like Devin was a very secretive person. We saw it with Garrett. And I mean, just the fact that Devin's own best friend didn't know that she had a stalker? It's honestly crazy to me that you wouldn't tell your own best friend about that. And then in Ann Arbor, she only told a certain amount of people about Damien. Like, her own roommate did not know about this man that she'd been seeing for two years. And not only that, but she told everyone, I mean everyone in Idaho, that she put college on pause so that she could take care of her mother. Nobody in her hometown knew that she'd been kicked out. So obviously Devin was capable of keeping a secret and even lying. But my question is, what else was Devin lying about? That is a question that keeps me awake at night. I think about the Devin that I thought I knew from growing up in Emmett, from interviewing her friends and family, from the little I knew about her personally, then I think about the Devon I've discovered over the course of this podcast, especially during our visit to Ann Arbor, and they feel like two completely different people. It's hard to resolve her choices while at college with the Devon I knew, the Devons whose disappearance inspired me to quit my job, move back to Emmett, and start a podcast. I want to be clear that I'm walking a fine line here, The purpose of this podcast was to find out what happened to Devon, to bring her home safe or get justice for anyone who may have harmed her. However, what I never predicted would happen over the course of this podcast was the fact that Devon had so many skeletons in her closet. I'd be lying if I said I was totally comfortable airing her dirty laundry to the world. However, it's not like I can censor the darker aspects of her life from the listeners especially when they could be crucial to solving this case. So, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if Devin used drugs or had an affair with a married professor or lied to everyone about getting kicked out of school. Nobody deserves to be abducted or murdered, regardless of their social background or occupation. I want to be very careful here in maintaining that regardless of what Devin may or may not have done, she still deserves justice still deserves to have her story told, and still deserves to be found. That's it for this Q&A of the Dead of the Night podcast. Thank you to all the listeners who submitted questions. Even if we weren't able to answer your question, we appreciate you taking the time to submit it. Thank you for listening, and if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a review. And of course, if you have any information about Devin Riesling, please call the tip line at 208-398-3110. This episode was produced by Gina Harris, Spencer Hudson, and Danielle Choda. Jessica O'Neill is our audio engineer, and I'm Kenneth Bailey, asking once again, have you seen Devin Riesling?